Hey everyone, it's Monday, January 11th, 2021, and this is an episode of the Charge or Die podcast. I am your host, Brad Oslake, and on this show, we talk about uh, electric cars, plug-in hybrids, regular hybrids, and occasionally very normal gasoline cars. Uh, this episode today is entirely about electric cars because we had a number of interesting stories come out of well, seemingly every corner of the automotive landscape. Uh, Tesla announced a standard range version of the Model Y crossover. Um, it's rear-wheel drive, and it's much cheaper, and I compare it to the two different versions of the Mach-E with rear-wheel drive. Uh, we also talk about uh, NEO, the NEO Day announcements, the ET7 sedan, their solid-state battery tech uh their stock price, a number of things there. And then finally, we wrap up with a very messy little riff, I guess, about uh, uh, Apple and Hyundai. Apparently, they have signed a deal to build an electric car in the not-too-distant future. Um, and we talk about what exactly that means, because it's not just going to be an electric vehicle with an Apple badge somewhere. Um, this might be a full top-down change uh, when it comes to a particular car. So, all that and more on today's episode uh, right after a quick break. We'll see you then. So kicking things off, we'll talk about Tesla and Ford, specifically comparing the new Model Y standard range vehicle uh, and the Mustang Mach-E's. Uh, Tesla pulled the wraps I guess, on the internet off the Model Y standard range. And uh, basically, it's a slightly decontented version of the Model Y that we already know and love, uh, giving it a much more approachable price for most people. Uh, Tesla has talked about how they never really want to sell electric vehicles that have less than 250 miles of range. Uh, unfortunately, with the changes in the way that this vehicle is laid out, how the battery's tuned, whatever else. Uh, this thing has a total EPA range of 244 miles, which by most accounts is more than enough for most people. Um, you know, you're definitely going to be able to get near enough a week's use out of this. You plug it into the supercharger while you're going to Meyer or whatever, get near enough to 80%, and you can go near enough another week. If you've got a charger at home, you can very easily charge it most of the way overnight to cover those miles. I, I think... Edge case scenarios, you know, the Mach-E, or excuse me, not the Mach-E, the Model Y standard range maybe isn't the best case out of all of the Model Y variants, um, but for most people, this is perfect. The key thing is the price drops. So starting price is going to be uh, $42,990 with destination. Um, that's no option, so you're not add, adding the $3,000 towing package, you're not adding the $10,000 full self-driving suite, you're just sticking with the base trim model, which is exactly what most people need. A hair under 43k, I think, is a pretty solid deal. Where things get kind of weird is when you start checking it against the Mach-E. Uh, the Mach-E has a few different trims, battery size variants, all these other things, and those make it somewhat of a strange comparative process, uh, simply because, you know, the base trim Mach-E which, start, which starts at 42,895, uh, lacks the, uh, what, what do you want to call it, like the autopilot type features, so it doesn't have the radar cruise control, uh, it doesn't have the lane keep assist, it doesn't have all those kinds of things. Uh, that's part of a $2,600 package, which at this point should just be standard. Uh, at that, 
rate with destination, uh, you know, you're looking at a price that comes, you know, a fair bit above where the Tesla's at. But the key thing with the Ford is that you do get a $7,500 tax credit uh, with the purchase of that vehicle. So all that considered in, baked into the price of the standard range Mach-E with rear-wheel drive, you're looking at $39,095, about, uh, what is that, three, almost four grand cheaper uh, than the comparable uh, Model Y. Now that particular Mach-E, the base trim model, uh, only has 230 miles of, electri of electric range. And if you guys watch the comparison videos that were done by uh, the Fastlane car, where they had a standard model Mach-E, uh, I believe theirs was all-wheel drive, though. Um, those things really gobble up the juice pretty quick, especially in colder temperatures, because they do not have a heat pump available on the Mach-E, at least at this point in time, uh, versus the Model Y, which does have its standard. Uh, and then, you know, it's a definitely a much more efficient way to heat the vehicle if you live in a part of the country where you know, temperatures are much cooler. Um, what you can do, however, is step up to the Mach-E premium model and select the extended range battery with the rear-wheel drive configuration. That particular trim base price is $47,000 dead. So at that point, you're starting, you know, five grand-ish more than the Model Y. Uh, you do have to select the option for the extended range battery, which is 5000 bucks. But the nice thing is all of the things that were optional on the select trim, the base trim Maki, come standard on this one. So you don't really need to check any boxes for packages, you know, um, unless you want to change the appearance of it. I think the standard trim of the premium model, the mid-range model, is really the way to go. So again, all these things considered adding in destination, but then taking out the uh, federal tax credit, you're looking at 45600 which is about $2,600 more than the Model Y, uh, also with destination. And man, that's, that's a competitive little spot. And here's the other thing that you have to consider with Ford. Ford's going to be saying, here's the MSRP, here's what these are going to be, you know, take the $7,500 tax credit out, yada, yada, yada. The truth of the matter is, it being Ford and going through the dealership experience, there's still probably 1,000, 1,200, 1,500, maybe even later in 2021, $2,000, $3,000 that you can take off the hood of the Mach-E. And in that situation, even with the Mach-E premium, uh, with the extended range battery, uh, you know, you're getting to be thousands less, again, to the comparable Model Y. And the key reason why to keep an eye on the premium extended range model is is that the EPA has rated the total range of the vehicle at 305 miles of uh, electric range and that is you know 50 60 miles near enough more than the Model Y now again do you need those extra 50 miles for most folks probably not um, but it's nice to have uh, yeah, it's, it's a really strange comparison between the two because there are a lot of really strong legs up and legs down on each car. I mean, I think, you know, Tesla, the supercharger network is really the main overarching crazy upside thing to have over any other car in its class. You know, you can have these chargers on highway systems all over the country. You plug it in. 
you can add quite a bit of juice within an hour. Um, you know, you could very easily drive across the country with a Tesla and not think twice about it. Um, versus the Ford where you're relying on, you know, third-party charging systems that may or may not be working, uh, may or may not be able to charge at the speed that you want to throw electricity into the Mach-E. You know, if you're just driving around town, I think the supercharger network kind of loses a little bit of its, you know, strong case for purchasing a Tesla. Um, if you're, especially if you're just charging at home with a 240 volt charger. Um, but yeah, that's, it's really weird. And you know, with Ford, you know, you're going to get a much better car, you know, like that it's going to be built a lot better. It's probably going to be a fair bit more reliable. Um, but where they also might not shine as well is that they're not really a software company like Tesla is. And the Ford sync system isn't, going to be quite as up to snuff as I think what Tesla's is going to be. Now that may change a little bit further down the road as uh, more Mach-E's roll out and Ford continues to tweak the system. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I think if it were my money, personally, I would probably go with a base trim Mach-E with the uh, technology package. It just seems to make a little bit more sense, you know, being $5,000-ish less uh, than the extended range. But, you know, if those dealer incentives come out and there's a lot of models sitting on dealer lots, man, that Ford's going to make a really interesting purchase thing. And if you live here in Michigan, especially where they hand out dealer discounts, uh, employee pricing, all those things like it's, you know, coupons in the newspaper, um, you're going to get a sick deal with a Mach-E, uh, to say the least. Um, one other weird thing to kind of look into doing, um, is uh, battery efficiency. This is something that people have been talking about online comparing the Model Y and the Mach-E. Um, they talk a lot about how the miles per gallon electric is significantly higher on the Model Y. Like, I think with the four-wheel drive versions, it's like 20% better than the, uh, or all-wheel drive version, it's like 20% better than the all-wheel drive Mach-E. And when you look at these rear-wheel drive models, I don't like how miles per gallon electric is converted. It, it really doesn't make any sense. It means almost nothing to regular people. What you got to look at are the miles per kilowatt hour that these things are going to be capable of. Um, so, you know, with a Tesla, guessing that it's a 75 kilowatt hour battery, because that's what the Model 3 has, you divide the total EPA range of 244 by the 75, you're looking at about 3.3 miles per kilowatt hour. That's to go from you know, 100 to zero. On um, the Mach-E Select rear-wheel drive with the standard range battery, it's 3.4 miles per kilowatt hour, and on the extended range model, it's 3.5. So near enough, they're all exactly the same. What's really killing the Ford in most of these tests is, I think, the uh, resistance heater uh, and probably some efficiency issues with their electric motors and battery, which again, can be tuned out over the air later on down the road. Um, but Tesla, you know, they've got a little bit of an advantage with some of this stuff. So I'm giving Ford a bit of a benefit of the doubt uh, on some of these things. Um, one other thing I also want to look at, you know, if you were going to charge the car from 0 to 100%, um, what it would cost to do so. On the Tesla, you know, assuming that you're plugging it in from 0 on a 240-volt charger at home, uh, you're looking at about 10 bucks, give or take, to charge it. Uh, the Maki Select with the standard range battery, about nine bucks, uh, and on the premium with the extended range battery on the Mach-E, um, just short of 12 bucks. 
pretty cheap, much less than than doing gas. You know, how how often are you driving 250 to 300 miles a day? You know, you're really not going to be doing that kind of stuff uh, over a year, assuming that you drive about 10,000 miles a year. Um, on the high end, the Model Y is going to cost you about 400 bucks in kilowatts. Uh, a cheaper one, the cheapest one is going to be uh, the extended range model of the Mach-E, which is about 375 So a $25 difference in your electric bill at the end of the year. Not too huge of a thing. You know, obviously you put in more miles, it's going to change a bit. But overall, you know, there's ups and downs for each of these. And it's going to be really, really cool to see how this competition continues to change as more models enter the fray. Uh, the ID4 is coming later this year for about 40-ish thousand dollars. Uh, the Nissan Aria is coming in around the same $40,000 price point. Uh, the Chevy Bolt EUV will probably be right around 40. It could possibly be less given that it's based on the current bolt and won't really change a whole lot in terms of powertrain and other things uh so chevy could decide to undercut these competitors by quite a bit um but yeah i i think ford's got a bit of an advantage here and i'm really hoping uh that they take take a few steps forward with this because uh ultimately in the end it's going to be on the dealers to deliver a good buying experience um once they get those chargers installed at the dealers giving you a good charging experience um, because, uh, Tesla, you know, is a, the clear leader at this point right now. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are desperate, uh, to see, you know, competition from any other brand be as good. And I think 2021 will end up being the year to see that. So, yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick ba- break. And when we get back, we will talk a bit about Neo and its new ET7 sedan. See you in just a moment. So the next story I want to talk about is NIO. Uh, NIO is an electric car company uh, based in China that has been doing some interesting things over the past couple of years. Now, before we get too deep into things, uh, I should point out that I do own a handful of shares in this company, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Uh, we'll also probably talk a little bit about Xpeng as well. Xpeng is another Chinese electric car company I own a few shares in. So, uh, yeah, be forewarned. Um, so Neo, Neo is a brand. They are meant to be the homegrown uh, Tesla competitor uh, in China. Neo, what's been interesting about them is that they really developed a lot of time and energy in the identity of their company. They invested heavily in making themselves a lifestyle brand. They have Neo cafes all over China that you can go into and get coffee and do tech stuff and other things um, that don't necessarily circle around uh, the car buying experience. Um, As such, their car sales have been not exactly great. There's a lot of brand awareness about Neo, but not a lot of people understand what they do. So Neo makes a slew of uh, electric crossovers right now. There's the ES8 and the ES6. The 8 is the big one. The ES6 is the midsize one. And then there's the EC6, which is a smaller crossover that I think is just coming out as we speak. Uh, And then today, or I guess over the weekend, they announced the ET7 sedan. Uh, The ET7 sedan is meant to be the Tesla Model S competitor. Uh, And this news announcement about this new car, as well as some battery tech, uh, which we'll talk about again in a second, um, really kind of 
breathes some life into the car company um, in a way that I don't think we've seen in quite a while. Uh, Neo, at one point uh, towards the beginning of the year last year, was basically on his last leg. Uh, they were delivering not a whole lot of cars. Uh, there was a potential recall coming for their batteries, which they ended up having to go through with. Um, you know, they had like less than $300 million in the bank to continue operations. And through what basically amounted to a government bailout and a significant portion of the company being sold to Tencent, uh, the technology company, uh, Neo kind of got back on their feet, got back at it, and has really started to deliver a lot more electric vehicles. Profitability is back up. They're actually back in the green. Uh, and their stock price has gone from two-ish dollars a share to uh, somewhere around 60. And uh, news was released today that some of these financial companies think that the actual stock price should be up into the 70s. Uh, one even said closer to $100. Uh, this seems really strange to me because Neo, as much as I like the work that they're doing, which is a reason why I bought some shares in the company a million trillion years ago, uh, you know, they're delivering less than $50,000 or less than 50,000 vehicles a year in China, their home market. Um, they are a small fish, all things considered, when it comes to electric vehicles outside of China. They basically do not exist aside from their uh, branded uh, Formula E team. And, you know, to have a valuation that's on par with GM in terms of stocks, uh, it seems real weird. So yeah, uh, that aside, the ET7 brought a lot of positive attention to the Neo brand over the weekend. Uh, the ET7, uh, being a big luxury sedan, uh, you know, it's it's largely what you would expect it to be uh, to compete against the Tesla Model S, uh, the new Xpeng, blah 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 sedan, which name I can't remember. Um, basically, you know, if you've seen the Sony uh, electric vehicle concept last year at CES, you got a pretty good idea of what to expect with the ET7. They look very similar. Um, it's also got a bit of uh, a Lucid Air vibe to it as well in terms of the uh, shape of the rear of the car and the simplicity of the interior. Um, I really do think the ET7 is one of the better looking uh, electric sedans that I've seen as of late and you know someday I hope to eventually see one in person here in the United States. Um, yeah, it's it's a good-looking car. And when you go into the interior, I think I'm really struck by how normal it is. Um, it doesn't have, a, you know, a floating iPad on the dashboard like a Tesla Model 3. Um, you know, it's got a regular center console. It's got a 12, little over 12-inch 12 screen built into the dash where you can do your usual infotainment functions. Um, the only real gimmicky thing about the ET7, and this is broadly for all of the Neo cars, is this little assistant thing that's on the uh, dashboard. It's this little like circle with a screen built into it, and the circle can turn and actuate and do little facial recognition things, and I don't know, it's kind of like a, a little robot that kind of talks to you. I don't know, it's very strange. It's got a camera in there. It identifies who you are when you get inside the vehicle. It's reading your face that will be like, hey, are you feeling okay? Which is a weird thing to do. You can have conversations with it when you're driving. It all seems very Chinese, which is, you know, cool in its own unique way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm just struck by how normal it is. And in terms of price, it's, you know, it's about what you'd expect compared to a Tesla Model S. Uh, base trim model 
that can go about 300 miles of electric range is about $70,000. Uh, the upper trim version with a larger battery, which can go 435 miles, that one's about 80,000 bucks. And then there's going to be uh, a fancier version uh, in the next year or so um, that's going to add a solid state battery, which was the other big Neo announcement is that they they're claiming that they've got a solid state package that's ready to be delivered at the end of 2020, 2022. Hard year to say. Uh, the 2022 model uh, with that battery pack as an option is going to be able to go over 600 miles and you would be able to charge basically the car from like dead to full uh, in like less than two hours. Uh, I think if I'm remembering everything correctly, um, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, the same solid state battery tech is something that Toyota is saying that they're getting close to finishing up. Um, so that's that's a pretty pretty exciting future to kind of look at. But, you know, uh, for fifty to sixty thousand dollars, you know, this seems like a pretty solid step in the right direction for Neo, and it seems like a pretty exciting vehicle that could have sales potential uh, in outside markets uh, going forward. Uh, as of right now, Neo is only selling cars in China. Uh, I think that time is probably up on that uh, as demands from investors continue to grow for, you know, increased sales. I think they're going to have to start going into other markets to to get that name recognition out there and to get those sales driven up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they follow in Xpeng's step uh, to start selling cars in Norway and then eventually the rest of Europe. Um, doing that for Neo, I think, would be a good way to go. It's also going to be interesting to see if they come into the United States. I think there's a lot more brand awareness about Neo because of their financial stuff um, in total compared to Xpeng. Um, that would give them a little bit of a leg up in the United States, but, you know, remains to be seen if either of those will be doing that anytime soon because, of course, every Chinese car company said that they were going to be here in 2020, and that didn't happen. So uh, we will see. But anyway, guys, after the bump, there's one more big EV car announcement, and it came, I guess, not officially quite yet, uh, from Apple and Hyundai. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. So last up, we're going to talk a bit about the Apple and Hyundai tie-up, which has been reported but not completely confirmed. Uh, so late in the day yesterday, uh, it was announced, at least by Reuters, or at least reported by Reuters, that uh, Hyundai and Apple are signing a deal this week um, to build a car, an electric car, in Georgia by 2024. This coincides with some reporting that had come out earlier I guess it was later in the year, uh, in 2020, where Apple said, or someone Apple, someone who knew what was going on at Apple, had said that they would have an electric car ready around that same time frame. Um, they had said that they were focusing a lot more on battery technology than anything else, and that they were seeking a manufacturing partner. This would kind of give some credibility to that reporting. Um, but the big question is, you know, how this is broadly going to work. Um, if it's the plant that I'm thinking of in Georgia, I believe it's the one that builds the Telluride. Um, that plant is already basically at capacity, so cutting out capacity for an Apple-branded electric car is kind of strange. That's also a Kia plant, not a Hyundai plant, uh, so that is a little strange as well. Uh, 
Apple themselves um, like to control a lot of things from the top down. That seems a little strange for Hyundai to be allowing because they also control basically everything from the top down uh, when it comes to the you know design, engineering, uh, manufacturing, and assembly of their cars uh, globally. Uh, in terms of like electronics and other things, it also gets kind of strange because Hyundai has a close relationship with uh, Samsung. Samsung and them co-own the Harman Kardon audio system. Uh, Apple obviously owns their own audio thing, Beats, uh, co-owned with Dr. Dre. Uh, Apple is increasingly doing more audio equipment themselves which leads me to believe to some extent that there could be some audio aspects to this car um, with some of the technology that they've rolled out with their HomePod and all those other things. But then there's the infotainment aspect of this as well, where Google has obviously partnered with a lot of major automobile, automobile manufacturers to use Android as a base for infotainment systems. Uh, so specifically Fiat Chrysler, Uconnect is now uh, going to be Android-based. Uh, Polestar and Volvo are using an Android-based system uh, going forward. Uh, a lot of other car companies have been talking about using an Android-based system. This now makes me wonder if an iOS-based system is going to be coming through for Hyundai in the very near future. And, you know, that's all kind of skipping around the basic premise of there is a car that's going to be coming that's either going to have an H badge or an Apple badge on the hood or a combination of both. And it kind of creates some interesting dynamics between, I don't know, everything that we know about automobiles because Apple as a software company has a significant leg up in understanding, you know, battery systems, being able to get the most efficiencies out of the battery to use in a phone how does that work into a car? They've said that they've designed a more efficient battery package, apparently. You know, does that work in a phone and also in a car? Uh, the, the thing that Apple doesn't have themselves is manufacturing, and that's what Hyundai does have. And as they search for a manufacturing partner, it makes more sense than ever to go for a company that, you know, like I said, controls everything from top to bottom. And ultimately, you know, it's a huge step up for Hyundai. Um, Hyundai has, you know, been, I think, a class-leading car company for the past few years. They've definitely shown themselves to be able to build cars that are extremely dependable and reliable and well-made, and I think Apple is kind of recognizing that in this partnership. It's very interesting that they're not going to GM, Ford, or Chrysler to do something going forward. Um, yeah, it's, what a weird thing, man. What, what a, what a strange partnership. I'm really truly interested to know what's going to be happening here and I think there are some strange issues and other foreseeable problems that I think kind of have to be addressed in order to kind of give everybody a little bit of comfort on this um, Hyundai shares I guess went through the roof yesterday pre-market I haven't checked on them today but that is a very weird mix of itself as well because of course that rockets Hyundai up into the upper echelons of the automotive financial thing on the coattails of Apple um yeah so I think the first big question I have more than anything is that if this is truly a car are you going to the Apple store to buy 
the Apple car or are you going to a Hyundai dealership to buy a car? Because in those two instances, you're going to have wildly different experiences as a customer. By that I mean, one, Apple is, you know, the Apple store. It's synonymous. It's clean. It's open air. It's, you know, it's a nice, inviting place to be. And the employees are very knowledgeable. They're well-trained. They get you what you need. You know what the price is going in. You pay it and you leave. Versus the Hyundai dealership, which has historically been a hot garbage fire of a mess rolling down a hill that Hyundai themselves have been struggling to control over the past decade as they improve themselves as a car company. They are stuck with dealers that continue to operate on the premise that Hyundais are not made particularly well and cater to people who don't have the financial ability to pay for these good cars. If anything, the Palisade has steered that in a very different direction. The inclusion of the Genesis dealership has steered that in a very different direction. Um, but things still aren't great. You know, the, the Hyundai dealer here in Grand Rapids is okay, is the word I would use to describe it. Uh, the Hyundai dealer that's out in Holland is a much nicer one. It, it has much better people and staff and training and so on. Um, but yeah, Apple's not going to let that kind of stuff slide. And I have to wonder if Apple's going to be coming in and really directly changing the way that their car would be sold by Hyundai at Hyundai dealers, if that ends up being the way things are done. Secondly, I think, and really kind of the weird hurdle that Apple is going to have to get over is this perceived idea that Apple products are very, very expensive and aren't that much better than the competition. Um, you know, the Apple tax is a very real thing in most cases. You know, you look at an iMac, you look at a, a Mac Mini, you look at an iPad, you look at so many other things, they are significantly more expensive than the competition. And a lot of it ultimately is because Apple's ecosystem is very, very good. It's well-tuned, it works well in their hardware. Um, you go into an Apple machine, you know exactly what you're gonna get. This coming from a guy who's recording this podcast on an Apple iPad Pro, who regularly uses a MacBook to you know, do other things uh, related to this show and, and stuff. Like, Apple's Apple, man. Like, they're going to get your cash whether you want to or not. I, as much as I balk about it, you know, they also offer some competitively priced, solid hardware phones and, um, you know, AirPods and things like that that are, you know, the Apple Watch even. You know, you can get versions of those products that are very affordable, and do all of the things that the high-end versions of themselves do, for the most part. Maybe not quite as well, but pretty good. And that's a key thing. You know, is, would an Apple car be going after Tesla? Would it be going after, uh, you know, Cadillac? Would it be going after, I don't know, name another electric car company, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, like, you know, is it going to be a high-end luxury product or is it going to be a usable, user-friendly, everyday car that's, you know, maybe a little bit nicer than your average, you know, Chevy Bolt or Mustang Mach-E or, you know, is it going to be an entry-level car? Is it, you know, is this going to be the, the, the Apple Car SE entry-level thing, you know, it, I, I, don't, I don't know, it, there's just so many weird ways that this project could go forward, and it's, it's truly exciting in that because we have no idea what's going on, 
the, the, the possibilities are endless. It's just crazy to wrap your head around. And I'm, I'm truly excited to hear more about what's going to happen because Apple getting into the electric car game is going to tow a ton of people who know the Apple brand name, who know the Apple product ecosystem into the electric car market. And I think it's going to create a really big upswell and in interest in this end of the marketplace. And that's exactly what we need right now in 2021, uh, especially with, you know, the Biden administration coming in, you know, if there's going to be more tax credits for EV purchases, more tax credits for charging infrastructure, more whatever, um, it's all going to work out in the end. And this, I think, is a good sign of where things are going. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, after the bump, we'll wrap things up. And, uh, yeah, see you in just a second. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Charge or Die podcast. Uh, there was a ton of electric car news, so thank you for sticking through it if you listened to the whole show. Um, if you want to follow along with me on Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com slash Iceman, that's Y-S-S-M-A-N, and uh, you can follow along with episodes of the show at anchor.fm slash charge or die. Uh, one project I kind of started working on today and I didn't quite finish is, uh, I think I'm going to start posting these on YouTube as well. You know, we're available on basically every podcasting platform available. Um, but there are a lot of people who listen to podcasts on YouTube, which is a very weird thing. But I guess, you know, if you have the TV on in the background while you're doing work from home or whatever, uh, hey, it's, a, it's another way to do things, I suppose. Um, anyway, guys, uh, big news out of the way. We'll see what happens this week. Uh, we did a special episode about the Jeep being announced this uh, past week. So, uh, keep an eye out for anything else as it happens. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week and we will see you on the next episode of the Charge or Die podcast.